This is an ABC podcast. On the 10th day, if it's a man who dies and he leaves a wife, the sister-in-laws will take her down to the sea and bathe her. They are releasing her from the family. Some, they will not wash themselves. They will not change their clothes. And then some will leave their beard. Some will not have a bath. Immediate families used to wear the red and black when someone killed their relatives or even their fathers or their sons. The husband and the sons go and take revenge. From the Panama province itself, it's a process that starts on day one and ends on day 100, when we will finally extinguish the fire. And after 100 days, we can go back to our individual lives. The way we commemorate those who have passed on is an important and beautiful part of being a Pacific Islander. Our rituals vary from country to country, village to village, and even between families. So where do these rituals come from and what happens when they are lost to modernization? I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about morning rituals in the Pacific. Practices like wailing, cutting hair, and sitting with a body are common. But then there are some rituals that are very specific and only practiced on certain islands or within certain tribes. In Tonga, cutting of the hair is commonly performed by women and children or those who are a lower rank to the deceased. In Fiji, the mourning periods last for 100 days before grievers hold a Vakatarai Sulu ceremony. In Anga province, in Papua New Guinea, some women mourning the loss of a child cut off part of their finger. My father passed away during COVID and I had done contributions in terms of helping to organize traditional mourning rituals relating to my dad's house cry or house of mourning. I value the ceremony because it is a way of showing respect, and in this case, for my dad, but also throughout different cultures in my province as well as in Papua New Guinea. It's the moral support for families who lose a loved one and also the financial and goods that are contributed to help with the funeral expenses and so forth. It's a time of sorrow, but it sort of helps share the loss when the communities and families come together. Just this week, I was speaking to Alice Waller from Ella Province, who is the president of the Ella Women's Peacebuilding Association, and she told me about a ritual relating to tribal conflict that I've never heard of. Immediate families used to wear the red and black when someone killed their relatives or their uncles or, or even their fathers or their sons. The relatives used to wear red, black. That's a symbol showing that the relatives are not happy. They want the, the husband or the brothers of the victim or the disgust to uh, retaliate or take revenge. So when they wear this uh, color of clothing, it means it's like a provoking a revenge. When they wear this color of clothing, it's like indirectly it tells the husband or the sons that you have to go and pay back. You have to take revenge. I'm not happy. By dressing like this, I'm not happy. You go and take revenge. It triggered the men or the husband and the sons of the victim to go and fight. And that... Dressing can stay for how long? Uh, that dressing 
case, as long as the relatives, I mean, the husband and the sons go and take revenge. When they take revenge, they took off the dressings. When they don't take revenge, the women still dress like this. So you and um, the Ella Woman for Peace Building, you have worked to try to change that mentality. Yep. We have, uh, we have carried out uh, awareness already. And now, right now, since last year, July, they started to do away. The women add the awareness and they just do away with the red black. They don't want to wear red black again. They said it triggered a man and we thought that our men will come alive. But when we, when we were red black and when our men go out there to fight, most of our men died. That's why they don't want to wear red black again. And they realized that uh, this red black provokes more death. Incredible. That was Alice Wale from Ella Women's Peace Building Association in Papua New Guinea. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. Dorothy Wickham is a Melanesian journalist based in Oniara in Solomon Islands. When her brother died, she travelled back to her village to prepare for the arrival of mourners. By losing a brother, I, I had to uh, do certain things. I, I had to go home in advance of my father as the eldest child in the, in the family. I, me and my husband had to go in advance and prepare for these people who were coming from Honiara to come into into the plantation to sit for the burial. So I did not attend his funeral service here. I had to go down two days before to get there to help my auntie set up the house and make sure all the temporary um, thatched awnings and we use, sometimes we use corrugated iron for whether all the women will gather to cook mm. every night. And so these are the, the things that we have to deal with. Did you feel like you missed something by not attending the church service or was the traditional ritual more important? For me personally, the traditional part of it was very important to me because he's, he's a brother, he's a boy, a male. So it was very important to me that we prepared properly and that uh, our people who came saw that we were sending our brother off in, a, in the proper accepted way traditionally. I mean, I could, could have said my own prayers beside his grave or beside his body while I was sitting there. To me, I wanted that recognition for my brother that the family prepared well and did it according to tradition. Solomon Islanders are mostly Melanesian. There are also Polynesian and Micronesian communities in the country. They all have their own mourning rituals and many of the customs can differ from one village to the next. In my father's own province, in his culture... Usually a death is when everybody gathers to come and mourn from far and wide. Messages are passed and people come. And then uh, usually they sit before burial. And then after a certain number of days as agreed to by the families, then the burial takes place. And then we have a, a mourning period. Traditionally, it is 10 days when uh, people are, are not supposed to be working in the garden, not lighting fires and even neighboring villages who might not be connected to this person would respect that. So there's not much laughter and noise and music as such. And then on the 10th day, what usually happens, is if, if it's a man who dies and he leaves a wife, the sister-in-laws will take her down to the sea and bathe her. And there is a certain 
talk ritual that the, the ladies will do while they're bathing her. And basically what it is, is that they are releasing her from the family. And if any one of the males, the elders in the family, want her to stay around because upon the request of the children, then the male person in the family, usually an elder one, would come and say, we are not uh, wanting you to go, we want you to stay because of your children, and that we still consider you our, our daughter-in-law. But usually, standard practice, 10 days after the bathing, the lady is free to to her family. And then usually on the 10th day, the family cooks up a big feast or they take uncooked food like pigs and cassava and whatever they can collect as a collective family. And they give it to the people who have sat during the morning for 10 days. So everybody leaves the morning period with a bag of home-cooked food or a motu basket they call it an epata in my father's language. And they, they're given to the families who come. And they write their names and they announce it and they hand it to each family. And that's also in recognition of their contribution when they come to the death. Because usually people come and they bring food to contribute to the feeding of the people. In Dorothy's village, as in many Melanesian communities, widows and daughters sit by the body of their loved one during the mourning period. Traditionally, we expect them to sit and actually mourn. Huh? and uh, not to be part of the the looking after of people. That's where the cousins and the aunties and the extended family come in. They do the cooking and the feeding and the cleaning, but the immediate family sits. Traditionally, that is what is expected. We we frown upon if the widow is moving around chatting to everybody. We expect her to be sitting next to the, to the dead body. And I've, I've seen cases where the, the women younger now tend to get up and want to go around and talk to their relatives, which is the Western way of welcoming people. And the elder women really totally frown on this. I had to tell my sister-in-law, I said, when we get home, your behavior as to how you sit and mourn will be very different, I said to her. You cannot go around organizing anything that is left to our uncles. You have to sit near the coffin or near the elderly women. The rest of us will be doing everything else. You are not allowed to be moving around, I said to her. And so she was quite surprised. She didn't realize that we actually practice. I said, here in Honiara, in the city, we are, of course, city dwellers. But when we go back to the village, there are certain uh, rituals and traditional practices that we adhere to, despite our education level or exposure, whatever you call it. When we get to the village, we swing and adhere to the traditional practice. How do these roles or rituals vary depending on whether a woman has lost a husband or a child? A child is different, of course. The mother moans differently. Uh, the expectations on her is different. Um, she's not as restricted as if she it was her, her husband because uh, then she would be sitting in her husband's village during the morning, not in her village, but or in her home. They would bring her back to, the body would come back to the father's uh, place. Unless the father is a foreigner from another province. And then they usually dwell in the mother's village. They have a home there, like a house. Then you'd see the body go back there. But usually it goes back to the father's uh, village and the burial grounds uh, that are traditionally or even purchased land, you know, that, that the family owns. It'll go back to the father's side of the family. For burial, and we usually also look at it as stamping ownership on places, 
like in, in, in the case of my brother, we buried him on the site he had chosen to build his house because he was quite young when he passed away. Traditionally, that is also to secure his land for his children. Dorothy told me Christian and Western practices are beginning to blend with these traditional rituals. On the hundredth day or even a year after then, now what they do is they, usually traditionally is when they put stones on the grave to mark it. But then now with Christianity, they put a headstone on a cross and they, they cement slab the grave. That's uh, what is being practiced now. Yes, Christianity changed other parts of mourning rituals in Solomon Islands. Yes, it has. Absolutely. It has uh, changed it a lot because now we have to take them to church, which uh, traditionally we do not. Uh, we mourn them where it is. And then there are, you know, eulogies given, talks given during the sitting around the coffin. And we do not traditionally do not hold a body too long. Of course, as you know, as a Papua New Guinean, we are very humid. So it, it's, it's appropriate within a day or three days, you you bury them. But now with embalming and people living far away, they sometimes hold the body to let the children arrive or grandchildren or somebody special to this person who's passed away or the family. So definitely Christianity has uh, played a huge role in the way we do it now. And also there's not so much, mm, the mourning period now is being adjusted to accommodate um, work, school, and all these other issues. So definitely not only Christianity, but just Westernization has, has changed a lot the mourning process here. How has that changed the way people express and experience grief or mourning? See, this is, I think, the, the thing. It's a good, that's a good point that you raised because I think as Melanesians and as Pacific Islanders, we do tend to go and um, really express our grief, you know, and we have some parts of, of like my in my mother's culture, which, which is um, a Malaitan culture, is there is a traditional wailing that the women do during death. And uh, they also sing, sing sometimes in their wailing or they just wail and, and say certain things. And it, it helps the family grieve. And so we are there actually really grieving. So when the, the 10 days is up, or whether it's 100 days, 100, uh, a year, you feel that you've actually let go of this person. But now with the Western concept, it's a little different. You know, we, we don't go wailing too much and that because it seems inappropriate because it's a church arrangement. But, and I think that that's not really good too, uh, you know, emotionally and psychologically for, for us islanders because we are expressive people and we, we, we tend to show uh, when we are happy, when we are sad. So that those changes, I think, doesn't really help with... Um, with letting go and going through that process. And I think the traditional concept of, of uh, mourning, I think it, it, it is something that we need to really uh, hold on to and then uh, keep as, as something that's important for us as a people. Huh? Have you felt your own grief suppressed because of that? Yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, people expect you, if you are dealing with a death in, in town, to be grieving differently. The expectations on you is different. And then when you're in the village, it's different too. So I think there, there are instances where people do actually feel they did not mourn as they wanted, maybe because they were in a town situation and uh, they had to uh, deal with the everyday daily living of, of being in the city. But if you're in the village, you can actually sit down and mourn for the period that, they, that is expected. And there's a lot of talking and reflecting. And I think that's, that's the good thing about the traditional mourning system. And towards the 10th day, there's, then you start to hear the, 
the funny stories about him or her come out and then there's some laughter because it's close to the end of the morning period. So there's reflection and remembering, you know, the lost ones with um, with a, a little, bit, little bit of laughter not and joy, yeah? not so much the sadness. You've gotten over that now by, by the 10th day. Although she sees the challenges these rituals can create for people living in cities like Oniara, Dorothy never wants the traditions to be lost. You know, when you're younger, you don't really take these things. You don't really take note of the significance of it until you're much older. Then you realize that it does have um, some power in, in, the, in your spirituality, yeah? that you're proud to be part of this process because that's what makes you who you are. And, and then you, you know your people have this ritual. It, it's a sense of pride. Eh? And uh, it, for me, it was important too that my children saw it and understood it so that if anything do, does happen to me, they know the process to go through. So it's important that we who are educated and live in the city do take part in this ritual so our children can see. So when it comes to our time, they know exactly the process to follow because they've seen us do it, you know, or being part of of a relative who has who has passed on. When you're younger, you sort of, you know, floating around, not really taking notice of these things until you're much older in your life and you realize, oh, no, this is actually a very important thing that makes you who you are and gives you that sense of pride of where you belong to. Dorothy Wickham is a journalist from Solomon Islands. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. In Vanuatu, some of the morning rituals that women practice, particularly if they lose a child, are being lost to modern life, especially for people in Port Vila, living away from their village. Jenny Ligo Viregagaru is from Ambai in the Panama province of Vanuatu. She describes some of the rituals women in her culture perform to acknowledge the loss of a child. Some, they will not wash themselves. They will not change their clothes. They will stay maybe 10 days or after 10 days they will change. And then some will leave their beard. Uh, some will not have a part. Like these things, uh, different people will do it, but especially in the villages, they do all this. But these days, it has changed a lot with um, modern life. Like right now, because uh, we are not, I'm not uh, living in the village, I live in uh, Port Vila. Uh, we do the, um, like, every, if a family died, we will um, remember them by um, making a fire uh, from day one, and then uh, um, the fire will light until day 10. That means that during that uh, 10 days, that means that's a holy uh, holy morning uh, to the families. Like that's uh, very uh, traditionally done by many families. And then they uh, from 10 days, then they decide if they can do it uh, um, on or they can um, 
and decide if they do it every five days they light a fire or 10 days they light a fire or 10, 20, 30, 40 and it will be decided by the families. You are speaking from your own experience uh, being away from home. How difficult is is it when you are away from home uh, in the village when someone passes away? At the moment, it's not that uh, hard for us to share our grievances together with other families because if uh, one family decides died, and we decide that okay, we are going to have the fire, we have to make the fire in this particular place or the family, then everyone contribute together and we stay together because. We know that, okay, uh, every 10 days we go together and then uh, we will do that until 100 days. Then that's when we close the morning together. Uh, Jenny, with other women that I've spoken to about this really important ritual in our culture, they've told me Westernization and religion have changed some of these rituals for people. But it sounds like even in the city, the community makes time and space for morning rituals. Is that the case in your experience? Yes, um, we do. Uh, Many people don't do it because of religion. Some, they do it and some, they they hold on to it. But uh, for my community... It is something because uh, we it is part of the culture and uh, we are rooted with it. So any time that a family member died, whether in Portugal or in the islands where it is very close, uh, families always get together and uh, make a fire and uh, cook food. So it's it's uh, make a traditional uh, cooking. So it's it is always uh, done uh, properly, whether you are in the islands or in Port Vila where we are now. So it is always uh, done by families. That was Jenny Ligo Virekagaru from Ambai, Panama Province of Vanuatu. Gifts of money and food have long been an important way of showing support during mourning in the Pacific. Staying in Vanuatu, Dr. Andrina Thomas is involved with the Vanuatu Widows Association. She comes from the Matantas village in Espiritu Santos, Big Bay area. In our island, we descend from a matrilineal lineage descent society. So women, women actually form a very, very important basis of uh, lineage. Uh, in Matantas, in, in the Big Bay area. So, you know, and, and when it comes to actually mourning, uh, women are actually very fundamental as well because uh, you'll see them working with men. And our, our men also work very closely with women in ensuring that, uh, you know, we bring people together. And if people are coming from outside to actually share grief with us, that, you know, those people, um, you know, physical needs, uh, food and all that are catered for. So, you, you'll see a lot of uh, people working together to ensure that there's food uh, cooked to serve to people who, who, who come over to 
share the grief with the family in Matantas. From the Panama province itself, it's it's a process that starts on day one and ends on day 100. So it's it's a very expensive affair uh, for somebody having to lose, um, you know, a loved one and having to um, light the fire. So when you say uh, light the fire from day one to day 100, that fire must keep on burning until day 100 when we will finally end um, the gathering and then we can extinguish the fire and say, okay, that's it. We've uh, sort of um, come together to remember this person who has passed away and after 100 days we can now... um, go back to our individual lives. So that's um, one of the islands that actually practices a comprehensive and and a very expensive exercise of burial um, uh, ritual. In in Matantas itself, we have three different um, commemoration. So we have five days after the person has died. So when the person dies today, you count that as day one. Five days thereafter, we'll have a get-together and people come together and we to another communal um, feast. And then we have day number 10. Uh, we do the same thing. And then we um, separate and then we come together again on day number 100 when that's the final gathering to say, you know, goodbye to the deceased person. So, and then once the, the person has um, been buried, uh, what happens is that the families will look at you know the list of people who came along with uh, various handouts so if they came with a bag of rice or they came with chicken or they came with mats or they came with whatever to to show um, uh, their sorrow then you have another ritual where you have to go back to those particular people and and say thank you for participating in the death of um, uh, our loved ones and then you give them something in return so it's a a reciprocal arrangement where somebody brings something over, but they also get reciprocated at the end of the mourning period. These important rituals, how do they help the living, those who are mourning? How does it help them? Well, the, the people who are living, um, they're mourning the death of somebody who's uh, passed away. But seeing people come oh, from you know all over the place, if, if that person is a very important uh, person, you will see a lot of people come over to to show their grief. For example, I'll, I'll talk about uh, my brother who was a former MP that passed away and my maternal uncle, which was the last lineage of my, my mother's um, generation. We had, uh, you know, a lot of people coming from the Big Bay area to show their grief when, when these two very important people passed on. And because both of them were chiefs, those people really needed to be there to to show that, you know, uh, they respected, um, you know, these persons very well and that they were there during the period when they were being buried. And it's important when you see people coming and you know that uh, that person who's passed on has actually made an influence on the lives of other people. And because my brother was a former MP and he was a very, you know, sociable person that assisted a lot of people, you had a lot of his uh, supporters come to support us during the the grieving period. And also my maternal uncle, who was um, a big chief in in the Matantas area, uh, we also had a lot of people coming over. Dr. Edwina Thomas is from the Vanuatu Widows Association. Thanks to all my guests today, Dr. Edwina Thomas, Jenny Ligo Virekagaru, 
Dorothy Wickham and Alice Wale. After speaking with other sisters around the Pacific, I am hopeful that this important part of our Pacific culture, mourning during times of loss, is still maintained and respect is given to those we lose in our communities the Pacific way. Thank you so much for joining me. Hilda Wayne for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is sistas at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, in some Pacific Island countries, more than half of the pregnancies are unplanned. But even where abortion is legal, the practice is deeply stigmatized and difficult to access. So what happens to women who can't access safe, legal abortion? A lot of workers do not really understand the law regarding abortion, and so they are a bit hesitant to take care of the patient presenting with abortion complications. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented and produced by me, Hilda Wayne. Our supervising producer is Kim Lester. Executive producer is Inga Stunsner. Our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. And Tasol Nabungim you next time.